0: Once more, the gospel lesson this time, Matthew, the first page of the New Testament, we believe Joseph was Matthew's primary human witness, but it was the Holy Spirit that brought a unity in these parallel accounts of the birth of Christ. Listen, Matthew chapter 1. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name, Jesus. This is God's Word. Most Sundays, we as a congregation say the Apostles' Creed, and we include the phrase that says, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary. I ask you tonight to realize that Christmas has very little point in being celebrated except as a great bath of sentimentality if it is only a story Of a child who was the illegitimate offspring of Mary and some human father. He was not God in flesh. He might be the world's most elaborate myth, but without a miracle at his birth, all the claims of Jesus are at best deceptions, if not outright lies. And his salvation is a hoax. For 18 centuries of Christian history until the mid-19th century, little significant opposition was ever raised against the miracle that we call the virgin birth. Early church fathers and theologians taught it with firm faith, even though they had controversies about many issues of who Christ was and how he came to be. There was no serious major dispute about the virgin birth in those early centuries. Reformers believed it. Luther, Calvin, all the others. Interestingly, many early scientists, Blaise Pascal was a fine Christian, Galileo, Isaac Newton, Michael Faraday, outright Christians, everyone, who wrote about the virgin birth and declared that as scientists, they believed it 100%. But in the celebration of a holiday called Christmas in this 21st century, we all know that there is a bold line drawn between those who would embrace a miracle and those who embrace some version or other of a complex myth called Christmas. We Christians feel that all the more these days. My wife and I make a point to thank clerks in the store when they say, Merry Christmas. And I say it to them, whether they say it to me or not. We are losing Christmas. We're not losing the celebration of a many-faceted myth that we have created in Western countries, but we are losing the miraculous Christmas of the virgin birth. I ask you to think about for just a moment, and we could talk about it a long time, some of the myths that surround American Christmas. And they're all different for each one of us, depending on what you've been exposed to in your childhood or or what you hold dear on a time like Christmas Eve. There's one stream of mythical thinking that says, well, Christmas is just a lot of legends for children. And isn't the day for children after all? That's who it's really for, and that's why we go out and collect lots of toys and make sure even poor children get some. Christmas trees, Santa Claus trying to fit down a chimney. I got in big trouble as a 10-year-old for telling younger children at the bus stop that Santa was fake. My mother got an angry phone call from another mother of a kindergartner. I had exploded the myth. Rudolph, elves, Frosty, Charlie Brown Christmas movie, Mr. Magoot Christmas movie, go on and on and on and on. We have all these mythical things, and they're harmless in their own way. I don't declare them to be evils at all, but they're harmless folklore. They're not the miracle of Christmas, they're not the meaning of Christmas, they don't begin to be the meaning of Christmas. We have a lot of adult myths as well. Dickens' Christmas Carol is certainly right up there. A very literate, well-written story of a man who was a miser and greedy and ignored people in need all his life, who learned to pay attention to charity and caring about others. It's, It's a great lesson, a great moral lesson. No one would declare it harmful, of course. But it's certainly not the heart of Christmas. My favorite, I unashamedly tell you, is It's a Wonderful Life. I love Jimmy Stewart, always have. I have, I'm sure, seen It's a Wonderful Life at least 35 or 40 times. I can do whole sections of dialogue. I really can. My kids laugh at me. I think some of them have never watched it. I said, when I die... After the funeral, get together and watch It's a Wonderful Life. (laughs) And maybe you'll understand me a little bit better. I cried this year when I watched it. I did. Because it is a wonderful lesson about living your life with integrity and generosity and friendship. If you've never watched it, please do it. But even those adult lessons aren't the kernel or the core of Christmas. They're they're interesting, helpful, comforting, instructive, entertaining myths. Well, then comes that whole wave of things that says Christmas is an attitude or a spirit or a mood. How many times do you hear people say, "I've, I've got the Christmas spirit or I haven't got the Christmas spirit? I was standing in line at the bank and a woman in front of me greeted the clerk and, you ready for Christmas? And the woman said, Well, I wasn't in the Christmas spirit at all until I baked cookies all yesterday morning, and that stimulated me to dive right into my shopping. (laughs) I thought, okay, Christmas is about baking cookies and spending all your money. I'm not sure that's it. It's more like getting the flu, if you ask me. (laughs) I was actually in the mall on Monday. I avoid malls. But my wife had a reason to go there, and I said, let's go. And I was in the mall for probably the first time in a year, at least. And she was buying something, so I was just kind of being the husband, standing around, listening to the horrible mishmash of sound coming out of the mall speakers that were supposed to be songs of Christmas. And I caught this wonderful philosophical phrase. The feelings here that only comes this time of year I I pondered that. Surely there has to be some deep philosophical meaning there. The feelings here that only comes this time of year. What is this feeling? How do you get it? Do you know if it smacks you in the forehead or or what? Well, we could go on at great length to illustrate the many different cultural definitions and, and myths and experiences and moods and attitudes that our society says is Christmas, but it's really just a lot of spider webs of mythology woven all around us and we all have our favorite webs that we cherish. I'm not here to mock your mythology, but don't trust in mythology to equal Christmas. It does not. You have not discovered Christmas at all until you know the true historic miracle Lodged at the very heart of it. And that miracle is what is most properly called the virgin conception and birth of Jesus Christ. Out of the billions of human beings who have ever occupied this earth, there's only one who pre existed before his mother, and that was Jesus. He pre existed his mother. He was very God of very God, the Nicene Creed says. He was the son of the highest one. He was the majestic presence of God in human form. And yet, he condescended to become a little baby in a barn, sharing a straw bed with a couple of refugee parents who couldn't find decent lodging and who desired to feed at his young mother's breast. Amazing. Do you stop and think how amazing this is? What we call this virgin birth was actually the conception of Jesus as an egg in the uterus of Mary which subdivided from a clump of cells and the Bible declares without any doubt whatsoever that no man had a part in it, but it was the power and influence of the Holy Spirit of God. Mary became a wife later and had children later. They're even named in the New Testament. But her firstborn, Jesus, had an absolutely unique birth. And it is essential that you understand the virgin conception is something completely taught by the Word of God. We didn't make it up. It isn't from just one author. It's actually from many authors, Old Testament and New. And I'm going to take just a few minutes to trace some of those texts that that teach us this truth or give hints about it at least. The strongest teaching is Matthew and Luke, but there are other verses that that help us. The very earliest is in Genesis. Genesis 3.15 is one of the most amazing verses in in that whole book, and it is an amazing book. In the Garden of Eden, pronouncing judgment and condemnation upon Satan – God says something hopeful. He says the offspring of the woman will crush your head, Satan, and you will strike his heel. Now Moses, who wrote that, would not have called any human being, any man, the offspring of the woman because in that day it counted who your Uh, paternal ancestry was your father who your father and grandfather were not who your mother was and yet Moses said someone who would be called the offspring of the woman is going to conquer you Satan Isaiah 7.14 is known by many of course a key text there it says it very bold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel which means God with us now Liberals have loved to point out about the Bible text that the Hebrew word there is alma, which can sometimes simply mean any young woman. But every single time alma is used in the Old Testament, it points to an unmarried young woman. Go to the New Testament. I read for you from Matthew chapter 1. And this, as I said, is more Joseph's viewpoint on things I always like to be reminded who the authors of these passages are. Matthew was an accountant. We have a lot of accountants in this church. Bless God for them. They keep our finances in wonderful shape. They glare at me because they think I want to just spend the money and they want to make sure some of it stays around and they do a good job, a wonderful job. But what is an accountant's life all about? It's adding up figures and making sure something accurate, something precise. Something factual is able to be reported from sales or or whatever income is is being tracked or profit is being tracked. An accountant is a person about minute facts, right? They're not fantasy spinners or tellers of wild tales. You go to an accountant to get something done accurately, and their integrity relies on being accurate. Matthew was an accountant. And he's the one that tells that Joseph did not have intimate relations with Mary before Jesus was born. He actually tells it twice in that short passage that I read. And he reports Joseph's shocked reaction. Joseph certainly knew he wasn't the father of this. Why was he ready to divorce and do what the law of Moses allowed in this kind of a strange incidence if if a young woman or had uh, was found with child and the Intended husband, knew he wasn't the father. He was allowed to divorce. Joseph wanted to do it quietly. He didn't want to hurt Mary. But he was going to do it until God intervened. Here's I would, This is reported as history, folks. This isn't Matthew saying, let me tell you a little legendary story I heard once upon a time. No. He might as well have been turning in a tax account for the year, a final... Summary of a business in the way that he told this factual incident. Another line of evidence comes from Luke, and I read there in Luke 2, which says Mary was a virgin at the time this strange announcement came to her, and she protested and said, How can this thing be? I have not had any relations with a man. How can this happen? The Text gives us the simple explanation, which to us is maybe not enough explanation, but it 's all we 're going to get. The power of the most high will overshadow you. Now you say that's not very scientific. Maybe you're a science student here, you're a biology student, you're a, a medical person. Power of the most high overshadow that isn't the way it happened. Let me remind you who was writing this one. He 's called Dr. Luke. He was a physician trained in the Greek academies, which were the finest early science factories of their day. Luke certainly understood the biology of human obstetrics. He was fully aware of what he was claiming. One more brief witness, and it's an oblique one but interesting Galatians 4 4 is the one place where Paul at least alludes to the virgin birth when he speaks about Christ and says he was born of woman, born under the law. A most curious way to say it, unless there was some reason to say born of woman, born under the law. We think Paul certainly supported the virgin birth. If you take all these texts, add them together, they present a unified testimony unless you are predisposed to doubt that there can be a miracle or that this miracle could be possible. And, of course, there are many people that make up their minds regardless of facts, and they say, well, I can't believe that. That's just ridiculous. Well, I'll choose to believe what is told in multiple harmonious accounts in the most unified, accurate book that has never been proved to have a true contradiction of any kind in all the centuries that mankind has examined it. The Scripture says Jesus was born of a miracle. And if the God of miracles can do this, what else can he do? Now, let's just ask quickly as I close, does the virgin birth then have some kind of significance? It isn't enough just to say it happened. You can walk away from saying, all right, maybe I'll believe you that that this one time out of billions and billions and billions of people ever born that this happened. But so what? Does the virgin birth have any significance for you and me? I'm just going to say two things that it has as way of significance. One, it influences whether Jesus Christ is to be treated primarily as a natural man of earth entirely, or a supernatural being in human flesh. Colossians 2:9 says about him, "In him the fullness of the Godhead dwelt." in a human body. You can watch all kinds of programs on TV about Jesus, about the lost years of Jesus, about who Jesus really was, the History Channel and Discovery Channel, and these others have these kinds of programs. And, well, he was, you know, an unfortunate rabbi that wasn't really quite understood, and he was inflated into something else that he never meant to be and all this sort of thing. Well, that's not what the Bible presents. We've been through the Gospel of John on Sunday mornings in this church, and Jesus repeatedly has said things like, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He's either a maniac or he's the Christ of God. Only God, man, can say such things and change lives the way he changed lives. Yes, it's still a mystery to answer exactly how the virgin birth happened. I leave that with God. But it's only one of many mysteries about him. Isn't the resurrection a mystery also? How does a completely dead body rise again the third day after being cold in a tomb? That too is a mystery, a miracle. And my God can do that kind of miracle. And then I tell you also why this means something to you. Because the virgin birth is really a pattern for the new birth that God promises to bestow on every man and every woman and every child who comes to him in faith in Jesus Christ and says, God, my life's a mess. I don't know where I'm going or where I'm going to end up, and I'm not very proud of a lot of things. But I see Jesus, and he says he is dying to take away the sins of the world. God, I put my trust in him. Will you give me a whole new start? Will you give me forgiveness of my sin? Will you give me a sure and certain hope that heaven is mine? Not a maybe if I'm good, if I keep all the laws. No, a certainty that I can be with Christ in eternity. Will you give that to me, God? We call what happens to the person who asks for that being born again. The Bible calls it that. We read it in John chapter 1 that the preexistent Christ who was called the Word was born into this world so that we might become children of God. And and the author specified not born by natural descent or human decision or a husband's will, born of God. That's the new birth he's talking about, the new birth that… Many in this room would claim has happened to them. Every Christian conversion, every act of faith by a new believer that comes and asks Christ to be Lord and Savior, you see, is actually another version of the virgin birth, a birth happening where the power is supplied by God, where the conception of a new life comes from God. You see, the virgin birth of Jesus is exhibit A of God's mighty power working in the realm of human weakness. 1 Corinthians 1 says God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. He chose lowly things like Mary and things that don't even exist to nullify the things that are so that no one might boast before him. God loves to work with weakness. And if your life is weak, Broken, shameful, you're all out of hope. He loves to work with a life like that. And he would love for you to discover not another Christmas built on a set of nice myths that are warm and fuzzy feelings on Christmas Eve and the happiness of family and the singing of carols that you love and and maybe the watching of a favorite movie or something like that. All that actually dissipates as soon as the decorations are taken off the tree and the Christmas dinner is over with and the unwanted presents are taken back to the store. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ gives us what real Christmas is, founded on the God of miracles for whom no obstacle is too difficult, no sin, too black to be overcome, no dead, hopeless heart of stone or fragmented life is so messed up that he cannot come in and transform it. If you have no previous acquaintance with what I'm talking about, I'm going to close here with a prayer. And you can take this as your pattern and maybe pray it yourself on your own tonight. Oh God, my sin has wounded me and left me for dead. I realize I need a whole new birth. I need a new start. By that same miracle power that you exercise to bring Jesus into this world, would you, O oh God, God of the universe, give birth in me to a new creation, forgiving my sin, and begin forming the image of Jesus Christ, my Savior, in me? Let life eternal be born in me today. If you will pray that in all sincerity, you'll find God will not fail to answer you with a Christmas miracle all your own, a wondrous and miraculous new birth. Thanks be to God. Our Father, we thank you. The simplicity, the power the awesome nature of what you did in Jesus. Do it in us. Give us that new birth that we might have, even eternal life, to be with this Savior one day ourselves. We ask in his precious name. Amen.